Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, and there turn to chapter 9. We are approaching the halfway point of this letter, and uh, today we will take actually a sizable amount of the Gospel and work through it. We're going to do the entire chapter of, well, chapter 9. Um, and that's because this whole story works together as one unit. If we were to try to break it apart, we might miss certain components to it. There's a simplicity to this story as well, and you've seen that throughout the Gospel of John. Whenever we've begun to unpack a story, whether it's Jesus turning water into wine or healing a Samaritan or, or uh, expressing to a Samaritan woman everything that he knows about her and her life or a healing a lame man or, as we're about to see, healing a blind man. The stories themselves are particularly simple, but its truth is something we have to work towards understanding, but Jesus in his simplicity makes that known as well. Why don't we read chapter 9 and then we'll discuss it together. As he passed by, that is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Interesting, right? We'll get to it. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son? who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, 
and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have already told you, and you won't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple. But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? So they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, and those who do not see, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Thus reads the word of God. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this truth and this incredible story of the kindness and compassion of Jesus towards this blind beggar that not only reminds us of Jesus' authority over the body, but also reminds us of Jesus' compassion towards the soul. That in it we see Jesus healing a man physically, but also making him whole spiritually. This is what we desire to see today. This is what you desire for us to see, for all those who have eyes to see it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember when I first started dating my wife, those were some really epic times. Um, We started dating in college, and we were in Ithaca, New York, which Ithaca sounds like a yucky word, and it just kind of is. Um, A cold place, um, much colder than here, our, our senior year, the average temperature 
the average high temperature in the winter was 10 degrees. And I remember I used to walk Danny to uh, the house where she lived. She lived with 10 of her friends. 10 girls all lived in one house. It was, it was something. Um, and I would walk her there and, and make sure she got there safely and then walk back to my house on my own. And she would marvel because I never wore a coat. I just always wore the same hoodie each and every single day, like every single one of you boys do. I see it every Wednesday night, same hoodie. Um, and it would be freezing. If it was, the high was 10 during the day, at night it was easily minus 10, minus 20 every night. And we're not talking wind chills. And we're not talking snow yet. It would snow all the time. And I remember... Uh, one time we had gone out on a, on a date. I didn't have a car of my own, uh, which I never have my whole life. Um, literally, like we are one car family. And um, so my pastor at the time would let me borrow his car, an awesome car, like a 1995 Ford Taurus. If you've ever seen one, they're majestic. And this one had balding tires which means you could die. So uh, one night, I remember we went out, and uh, I remember where we were going. I just remember that on the road back home, um, I'm driving in this car, and all of a sudden, there's a blizzard. We're talking like snow beyond snow beyond snow. And I'm trying to talk to Danny and, and encourage her that I'm the man she needs to marry one day, and she won't talk to me. And I'm wondering what's going on. Like, what did I do? Did I mess up? Did we go to the wrong place? Um, did, am, am I just that ugly? Like, I knew that already. But like, why is this so hard for her to talk to me right now? And it's because whenever Danny sees danger on the road, she paralyzes. She can't talk. She can't do anything. It happens right now, and we live in sunny California. But on this day, as that blizzard is falling, she's not talking to me because there's a sense of fear and frustration as to what are we actually doing out here right now? And I remember looking out the windshield and as we're driving, I'm going, shoot, I, I really have no idea where it is that we're headed. When snow is falling as hard as it was that day, when there's a blizzard like that, you can't see anything. And there isn't just a sense of frustration that these tires are balding and about to explode so we'll die, but also that I don't even know if I'm on the road right now. I have no sense of direction. It's almost impossible to tell that we're going the right way. That's the frustration of someone who can't see. And imagine if that frustration wasn't just one that you had on any particular day, but imagine if that was your frustration every day. Imagine if from the day that you were born, you could not see the world around you. No sense of direction. No sense of knowing where you're going. No ability to have any means of going where you think you should go. Such is the state of the man that we find in John chapter 9, I think all of us can relate to a level of blindness, whether that's through the environment around us, be it snow or in a minute when you go home, rain will do that for you, and you'll, your parents will probably hit the wipers all the way to the highest setting, and it won't do much because it's going to be raining so much. 
Uh, those are environmental causes to this. Some of us, look at us, this is also because I actually can't see any of you now, and now I can. Certain levels of blindness that all of us or many of us are used to. So you wear glasses or contacts. And then there's a, another level to it, like the man that we find here, where you're born blind and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. And what happens in John chapter 9 is we come in contact with this poor blind beggar. Is not only that Jesus does something miraculous to him in a physical sense, but what Jesus does through this man is that he conveys a message to all of us about the true dangers of blindness. There is a physical blindness that can inhibit your ability to navigate this world. But there is also a spiritual blindness that keeps many from reaching the doorsteps of heaven. There is a physical blindness that can make life pretty inconvenient. But there is also a spiritual blindness because of which many will never behold their God. The message that we find in John chapter 9 is that if you are to see God, you must believe God. If you are to one day behold God, it will be because you believed Him and all of His truth. It is if there is a hope for you to know God in truth, you will take Him at His word. If there is any hope for you to enjoy God forever, you must encounter him today. This is the reality that we're going to see in John chapter 9. And we're going to see it because though there is a physically blind person in this text, there are many who cannot see and do not understand what Jesus is doing. And to be in that position is to be in grave danger. I want you to have eyes that can see Jesus as he is. And I want you to see through this text that though you might have heard that seeing is believing, that's not at all the message that Jesus has to give you. Jesus' message is the inverse of that. Believing is seeing. And those who believe in Jesus can see God. I want us to see this through six different scenes that exist in this text, and we'll move through them fairly quickly. Six scenes that will show us that we need eyes of faith to behold God rightly. Six scenes in this text that will help us to understand that to enjoy God forever, we must encounter Him today. And not encounter Him on our terms, but encounter Him as He has revealed Himself. Let's begin, number one, with what the disciples do not know. What the disciples do not know. We begin here in verse one, as Jesus is passing by, and you would remember that Jesus has just escaped the temple because there the leaders and the Jews were looking to kill him. 
as they were having this conversation about who Jesus is, Jesus declares that he can set them free from their sins, but they choose their sins and self-righteousness over Jesus. Jesus tells them that he is God. Before Abraham was, I am. And it is that statement that draws the Jews to stone him. They believe he is blaspheming. He is claiming to be God, which is a sin punishable by death. And as they pick up stones to hurl at Jesus, he hides and goes away. Now, as he goes away, he sees a man born blind, a man blind from birth, reads verse 1. Jesus steps out of this context where many seem to have known God and understood God. There in the temple, there's presumably many worshipers who have encountered God and know his truth. But the opposite is true. And now as he walks away from that scene, he encounters this man who can see absolutely nothing. He was born blind. Congenital blindness is something that cannot be cured. There are certain things that, especially today, in today's day and age, a mother can do to perhaps help with something like that, but there really is no fix to this situation. So what Jesus is about to do is something unlike anyone's ever seen. There is no fix for, you can't put some level of glass or lenses to help this person fix what they have. There is no vision. And to make matters worse, It isn't only that he's physically blind, it's what everyone assumes about it. Notice verse 2. They come across this blind man, born blind since birth, and the disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's something that was pervasive in this day and age. That deformity and disability was viewed as a means of God's judgment for sin. And let's be clear, living on this side of Eden and living in a fallen world, so many of the things that we see are a product of our fallenness. But they are not always in direct relationship to any particular sin in your life. I hope you have room in your theology for that. Read a book like Job. It'll help you be reminded of this. Job never sinned against the Lord. Job never did anything to disobey God. Job was actually viewed and regarded by God as a blameless man, a righteous man. And in fact, the only reason that Satan desires to pick on Job is because Job loves God. The sufferings that come thereafter for Job are not because of his sin. Or because the tempter would not have him trust in God. And if Job isn't enough for you to understand that suffering is not always because of sin, then you need to look at Jesus. Jesus' life was perfect and always pleasing to the Father. But he suffered, was tempted, and went through weakness just like we do. Not because he was sinful because he took on humanity. The understanding in this day and age is this man must have been born blind. 
either because he did something or his parents did something. First of all, what a foolish thing to think that he did something. He was born this way. There was nothing he possibly could have done in his mother's womb to have sinned against God, though all of us understand that we are born in total depravity. That hasn't played itself out yet. And then, what's worse, to blame his parents. I mean, these guys are no better than Job's friends. They see a man born blind, and they want to give all the answers as to why that could be, instead of having compassion on him, seeking to help him, seeking to love him. What is it that Jesus responds to them? Jesus answers, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We've seen that before, haven't we? Jesus relayed that message to us in John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And now they encounter a man who's only known darkness his whole life. Who could possibly help a man like this? Who could take a man who's never seen anything and give him sight? Who could possibly help a man who's lived in a world in darkness to see a world of light. Jesus. Jesus can and he does. After saying these things, Jesus makes mud using spit and dirt from the ground and he takes it and he puts it upon the man's eyes. He has him go wash at the pool of Siloam. The man does so. He obeys God's command. He does what God has said and he comes back seeing. Jesus expresses a unique power to overthrow this man's physical disability. Not only that, if anyone's paying attention, they would have noted that back in the prophecies of Isaiah, in fact, even when Jesus recites Isaiah's prophecy in Luke chapter 4, one thing that would demonstrate to everyone that Messiah has come is that he will give the blind sight. Here. Jesus has done this. From here on out, everyone will be confused about what Jesus did. And this first point is to help you understand that the first confusion comes from the disciples. Jesus is the Messiah. He is God. He is powerful enough to do this. But the first confusion that we tackle here is from the disciples who do not understand this man's situation because they've been led astray their whole lives. Being taught by religious people, they don't know the truth of what God is doing or what God actually has to say. One of the first dangers of spiritual blindness is that you listen to everyone around you but you don't listen to what God is actually saying. 
You fill your life with good books about how can I be a godly man? How can I be a godly teen? How can I find a godly spouse? How can I live in a God-honoring way and find the career that God wants for me? And you do all these extra things, but you don't have an ear that hears what God has to say. The disciples' confusion is not because of what God declares in his revealed truth of Scripture. Their confusion is because their ear is to false teachers. It is to people who have led them astray their whole life. What the disciples do not know is that they've been led astray. It's a warning signal to each of us here to be cautious and careful who we learn from and what we learn from them. That if we're consuming people's ideas and suggestions and opinions, we are prone to this kind of danger to accumulate for ourselves teachers who will guide us not in what they think, but in what God says. What the disciples do not know is that they are captive to the philosophies of men rather than the truth of God. This is the first danger and the first scene that sets up this narrative for us. And it's a warning to us to be mindful of who we listen to. Number two, the second scene here is what the neighbors do not know. What the neighbors do not know. Look at verse eight. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, isn't this the guy who used to sit and beg? And some says, yeah, that's him. And some say, no, he's, got a, it's, he's like him. And the man kept saying, think about that line. He kept saying, I am the man. I mean, the dude's got to be going nuts. They keep asking like, wait, aren't, weren't, you, weren't you the beggar? Yeah, that's me. I've been trying to tell you all day long. I'm, I'm well, like I'm, I'm better. I can, I can see. And to some extent, extent, we can understand the confusion of these neighbors. If this grown man who was born blind can now see, how is this possible? There's no way it's the same guy. This isn't possible at all. So, of course, this isn't him. He continues to declare to them what has happened to him, and we see that for ourselves as this continues. Look at verse 10, though. They said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud, and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and received my sight. Well, where is he? I don't know. Notice that the neighbor's confusion is not because of what they see, but because of how it happened. How is this possible? What's plaguing these neighbors is a sense of skepticism. They're critical of this. And you've seen it, even to the point where some say, well, this is him, but how did it happen? And others are saying, it can't possibly be him. It's a second danger of spiritual blindness. What the neighbors do not know is that they don't care to know. They don't want to believe. In fact, what's in front of them is unbelievable. So they choose not to. What's in front of them is is hard for them to understand, so they dismiss it. 
what's happened and what's taken place to someone they know is so impossible that they tell themselves, how in the world has this happened? Instead of congratulating this man, celebrating with this man, rejoicing with this man, asking him to take them to Jesus so that they too can come in contact with someone with this kind of power, they ask question after question after question. Friends, this is another danger of spiritual blindness. It is to have the truth in front of you, but never believe it. It is to have the truth in front of you, but always question it. It is to have the truth in front of you, but always be skeptical of its purity. These folks saw someone who was born blind see again. And though they could see it clear as day, they still questioned it. Spiritually blind people act this way. When the truth is in front of them, they allow their doubts and their skepticism to take over. It's the second danger of walking in spiritual blindness. There is a third scene here. If firstly, there's what the disciples do not know, and secondly, there's what the neighbors do not know. Thirdly, there's what the Pharisees do not know. What the Pharisees do not know. This man is now being paraded around town and being asked over and over to repeat his story because no one believes this is happening. So they bring him now to the Pharisees. And of course, the Pharisees don't like what they see, which is always true of people who don't like Jesus. They might know Jesus. They might read the truth of Jesus. They might see the story of Jesus. They don't like Jesus. And we can tell that very clearly in this text because verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. Notice that what's happening here is we're seeing again that the Pharisees are really good at what they do. Here's a blind man born that way, brought to them. You would think that they would go, someone is acting on behalf of God if this has happened. This, this is incredible. This is supernatural. How did this happen? Take us to the man that, 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 that accomplished this. They're hung up as they have been before. You remember the man who was born lame and he sat by the pool and no one ever helped him and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath and they were upset about this too and here they are again. Here comes a, a man born blind, he's healed and all the Pharisees can think is, but it's the Sabbath. Why would he do this on a day where we shouldn't do anything? It's an argument that Jesus has already taken care of. In fact, Jesus... Uh, approaches this by saying, why is it that you guys can circumcise on the Sabbath, but when I do good things, you don't like it on the Sabbath? And it's because Pharisees care more about what they want than what God wants. And that's exactly what we find here. They ask him how he received his sight. In verse 15, the man says, yet again, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. 
And some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? So there was division among them. And of course there was. To be so close to God would tell you that this must have come from God. But to be so caught up in themselves would lead them not to believe it. Friends, the issue that the Pharisees have here is that they love their works more than God's works. Even when the work of God is right before them, a man that was born blind, now seeing, an impossibility made possible, they choose not to believe it. Why? They love what they're doing more than what they can see God doing. Now, you're thinking that's true of some ancient guys that wore some weird, funky robes and um, who we might not relate to very much, but that's some of you in this room. You see God at work around you all the time. On a day like today where we're celebrating 55 years of faithfulness here, I hope you've gotten the message. We love Pastor John. But much more than that, we love having watched for 55 years what God has done in this church. And you may have seen that time after time. Your friends getting saved. Your family getting saved. Your family's relationships being restored. Walking with the Lord. You watch as people in your life who love God have appreciated His Word. And not only that, but their lives have been transformed. And you don't give in because what you have going on is better. You see all that going on around you and you say, no, thank you. I'm good on my own. Well, you don't know exactly what the Pharisees don't know. What God has to offer you is far better. You only need eyes to see it. They said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said to them, he's a prophet. This man is trying to make sense of all that's happened to him. And these Pharisees are denying what they see right before them. The religious will do this time and time again. We see a fourth scene here. We've seen what the disciples don't know. We've seen what the neighbors don't know. We've seen what the Pharisees don't know. And now in verses 18 to 23... We see what the parents don't know. What the parents don't know. The Jews didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, which is an easy thing to do. If you don't want to believe in Jesus, you'll try to make sense of it in your own way. If you don't want to believe in God, you'll make sense of it in your own way. Isn't that what's happened in your schools and isn't that what you're taught in your textbooks? People that don't believe God has made the world, what do they do? Well, we came from monkeys. And some of you sure act like it. No, I'm kidding. Um, we must have come from somewhere else. No, God couldn't have made the whole universe. We don't believe that. So let's just make sense of it. So there's this tiny particle that exploded millions and billions of years ago, and that's how we all got here. Friends, I'm not even going to entertain like which is more believable. But let me just bring you back to the point. When you don't believe God for what he's doing, you'll make up a world 
of nonsense. When you don't believe God in his truth, you will make up a world of lies. The Jews don't believe what they're seeing, so they go running to mama and papa. They bring the guy's parents in, and they begin to ask them questions. Is this your son who you say was born blind? They're making it as if though this family schemed this together to try to trick all of them. I mean, and seriously, what an elaborate plan. Hey, why don't you pretend to be blind for the next 30 years? And then in 30 years, we'll take you over to the Pharisees and show them that now you can see. I mean, that is as cruel as it gets. And I can assure you that if you're the parents in that situation, nothing can make you feel worse than to know the tragedy and the disaster that you've had to live through and that people would treat you in this way. These parents come before the Jews, the Pharisees, the leaders, and they answer, we know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind. How he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. Now at face value, it looks like what the parents don't know is how this happened. But you have to read on. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Here's what the parents didn't know. I don't think that it's that Jesus is the one that healed this man. I think they knew that. What they didn't know is that it's far better to stand with Jesus than to stand with man. What the parents didn't know is that there was no need to be ashamed of what Jesus had done for their son. There was no reason to fear what the religious leaders might do to them if they knew Jesus. Friends, what they're going through here is something very common to what you go through every day. You might not stand in a synagogue. You might stand in your classroom. You might stand before your sports team. You might stand before your family. And there will be moments where you are pressed to a corner where it is evident that God is at work and you have to declare where this is all coming from. And the only sufficient answer is Jesus. Jesus himself says that anyone who is ashamed of acknowledging him, the Father will be ashamed of acknowledging them on the day of judgment. These parents, what they don't know is that it's far superior to stand alone with Christ than to stand with a multitude of religious and lost people. This isn't just their life. It's also your life. And what the parents needed to understand is that confessing the name of Christ is the most important thing that you can do in this world. Spiritually, people cannot see this reality. But those who do must confess it daily. How do you do that? 
Well, of course, there's that one time where you confess that Jesus is Lord and you're saved. But I hope you understand that if you did that one time, your life from then on out is a confession that Jesus is Lord. If you confess that Jesus is the Christ, that he is your Lord, it's not just then something that you say, that words that come out of your mouth. It is what dictates every decision and every thought and every word that you speak. When you participate in a sports team, it should communicate that Jesus is Lord. When you study for an exam or you go and take that exam, it should communicate that Jesus is Lord. When you hang out with your friends and you're joking and you're talking and you're playing and you're goofing off, whatever it might be, does it communicate that Jesus is Lord? If it doesn't, I wonder if you're ashamed of this confession. And as we go on, you'll see there's no need to be. The fifth scene that we find here, what the blind man doesn't know. What the formerly blind man doesn't know. Because now he can see. And now for a second time, they bring him in to talk to these religious leaders. And look at how ironic this is. They tell him, verse 24, give glory to God. I mean, he can see now, so obviously he is. Jesus said that the whole point of this was that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, to give God glory. That's already happened. Some people are so lost in their religion, they have no idea what it is that God wants and what it is that he's doing. Give glory to God, and then they go even further. We know that this man is a sinner. And they're talking about Jesus. Talk about not knowing him at all. We can move on. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I mean, seriously, you ever been in that position where you've told the same story like a hundred times? And then people keep asking you about it. I mean, it's fun for a little bit, especially if it's a really good story. I remember one retreat for uh, Crossroads Bible Study. We went out to the mountains out by, no me recuerdo donde es. But, that means I don't remember where. But on the ride there, I was with Pastor Jay Lennington. And we pull up on his Highlander to this bridge. And as we get, look, I'm retelling the story that I said I don't like telling. As we get there, there's a deer. And it stops, and it looks at us, and we look at it, and it's kind of majestic. And I'm going like, oh, my gosh, it's Bambi. And, and, and we're like, well, let's just, like, give it a second. We don't want to spook it. And then it starts, like, walking on the bridge toward camp. And we're like, dude, how cool is this? Like, you know, sometimes the Lord sends a, a messenger in disguise, but sometimes he sends a deer to escort you to camp. This is amazing. What an awesome story. And then the deer jumped off the bridge. Uh-huh. Exactly. It's exactly what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, this deer did the thing. And we were like, that's your fault, Pastor Jay. You are driving. I Listen, we, and it was, it was in the middle of the night, so dark. We had no idea what was going on. We drove back when it was time to leave camp. We drove back that same bridge. And I told Jay, we have to stop and we have to see what happened here. 
Like, what if he's alive? Like, he might have jumped into some bushes, and we did, and we stopped. And he couldn't have been more in the center of this bridge. And he fell a solid 150 feet, and I have video of him at the bottom of it. I know. So I just told the story that then when I got back, everyone's like, what happened? And I told it a billion times, and I told it just like this time. Every time the story got a little shorter, even to the point where I stopped telling the story. I was just like, here, just watch this video. That's what happened. And when people keep asking you to retell the same thing over and over, there's a way that you feel like you're going crazy, and so does this guy. He comes to this point where he's like, why do you keep, do you just want to be his disciples? Is that what you want? Like, why do I have to keep telling you the same thing over and over? More importantly, why do I have to explain to you something that you can see? Obviously, I am well. Obviously, there's something different about me. Obviously, I can see when I once couldn't. What more do you want? The leaders turn on him and say, we're disciples of Moses, which is so interesting because earlier they were of Abraham and they were of God. Now they're of Moses. Uh, Newsflash again for the religious people. You actually don't know who you belong to. You have no idea who you answer to. And I'll tell you why. Religious people are really good at being their own God. Religious people are really good at making their own rules. Religious people are really good at compiling what looks like a nice life and saying it belongs to them and knowing not at all where it comes from. We're of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. As for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Isn't that wild? Jesus said that I am the bread that comes down from heaven. I came down from my Father. The Word became flesh. It isn't newsflash to them about where Jesus is coming from. This has all been said before. It's a reminder to us that unbelief is that way because it wants to be. Those who don't believe It isn't a trick on God's part, and it isn't something God's doing to you. It's what you desire for yourself. You don't believe because you don't desire to believe. This man grows frustrated with these religious people. What an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. This man of very little religious training... This man who's just now seeing the world as it is, he knows more than they do. Obviously, no one who dishonors God is able to do this kind of stuff. God is not siding with sinners. God is not siding with wicked people. God is not siding with the evil. So if this guy can do this, he's got to be good. Also, God doesn't listen to people who are evil, wicked, and sinful. God only listens to the righteous. So this guy's got to be good. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What is it that the blind man came to understand? The person who opened my eyes had to be from heaven. In order for this to happen, he had to be God. He didn't know everything about God. 
Obviously, when they asked this question and, and posed actually the statement that Jesus is a sinner, he says, I don't know. But notice that what the blind man doesn't know is not as important as what he comes to find out. I know that whoever healed me had to come from God. And that's what Jesus said to get himself ousted of the temple. That's exactly what this man says, that now they cast him out. He comes to terms with the reality of who Jesus must be if he can do these things. And now he sees, but he's about to see things a little bit more clearly in this final scene, number six, Jesus makes himself known. Jesus makes himself known. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And he finds the man and he says, do you believe in the son of man? Friends, this is an important part of this story because have you thought yet of how all of this came to place? The blind man didn't go looking to be healed that day. He didn't go looking to make an entire issue for the whole religious system and his parents and his neighbors and the disciples. He didn't go looking for all this trouble. What happened? Jesus came and found him. Not only after the miracle, but also before it. As he passed by, he saw a a man born blind since birth. This all began because Jesus desired it to. Another way that we put that is we call it grace. When Jesus shows up in your life, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it, and you weren't looking for it. Jesus does that because he is the one who seeks and saves the lost. Do you believe in the Son of Man? It is a nod to Old Testament theology that denotes one who is coming, who is almighty, and who will have dominion forever and ever. You can read of him in Daniel 7. Jesus has actually already noted this about himself a couple times in this gospel. The Son of Man is to be lifted up for his people. The Son of Man is to be one who is like that serpent in the wilderness, that when it was lifted up, the people were saved. So it will be with Jesus. This is Jesus saying, do you believe I am the promised one? Do you believe I am the deliverer? Do you believe I am God's true son who came to save the world? What a great reply from this once blind man. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus says to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. What an awesome exchange between these two men. It is not enough for a man born blind, given sight, to see Jesus. That is not the point. Many have seen Jesus time and time again in this passage. They don't like it. What's different? Verse 38, Lord, I believe. What is it that's going on in this passage and in this chapter? It isn't just that Jesus is healing a man who's physically blind. It is that Jesus gives to this man something that no one could give him and something he could not give himself. In the same way, he could not fix his physical blindness. 
He could not fix his spiritual condition. So it is for every single one of us. The question is, do you believe in the Son of Man? You might have eyes to see the world, but do you have eyes to see the Savior? Because if you behold the whole world around you, but you do not behold God and His truth, it will gain you nothing. The emphasis of this passage is that a man who was blind does not just come to terms with seeing the world as it is. He comes to terms with seeing Jesus as he is. And so he does the only thing you can do. He worshiped him. How do we know that his faith was genuine? He responded the only way you possibly can. When you see Jesus as Savior and Lord, you worship him. And the passage ends on a little bit of a dreary note. And it's because in this room, there's two kinds of people. There are those who, when seeing Jesus, believe in him and they worship. And there are those that when they see Jesus, they could never be more blind. The Pharisees looking around, seeing all this going on, and Jesus having said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see me may see, that those who see may become blind. They're offended by this. Oh, so you're saying we're blind. They understood the message. They understood what Jesus was getting at. And Jesus says to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What is it Jesus is saying? If you see him and believe in him, you worship him. If you see him and disregard him, Judgment is the only natural thing to follow. If you see Jesus as he is and you understand a text like this and you understand a truth like this and you just say, no, thank you. That's exactly what God will use against you when you stand before him. I showed you, my son. I showed you the way to be saved. I showed you how you could kill your sins. I showed you how you could have eternal life. I showed you who to believe in. I showed you who the Savior was. I showed you who the Lord is. And you said no. God is saying, ultimately then, you're bound to my judgment. Not only because I have to judge sinners, but because you chose to disregard my son. Friends, this is the reality of the gospel seen in the life of this poor blind beggar. The question is, Do you have eyes to see the truth of the gospel? Because the only way you will is if Jesus comes and shows you his grace, and he has. He died a death that you deserved. He rose again to reign forever, and he will come again to save his people and to judge the wicked. What will you see on that day? Will you see a savior or will you see a judge? Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we got to spend in it. I pray that you would make it clear and known into the hearts of our students where they stand before you. And I pray that those who have eyes of faith would walk by that faith, that that light would be a lamp to their feet, that those who have experienced the light of the world would then live by that light, that that light would expose sin 
expose weights and hindrances, that it would move them to live for you more today than they ever have. If there's anyone here who's living in darkness, may they see the light of the world, repent of their sins, and turn to you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.